Hi, friends. Welcome to Deep Dive, my brand new podcast born from a desire for critical thought, vulnerability, and awareness. I'm your host, Dana Falsetti, a thinker, a writer, a yoga teacher, an activist, an authenticity agent. Each month, you'll hear from me and my guests, ranging from iconic disruptors to everyday people, all candidly sharing our personal experiences on topics ranging from sexuality to social justice and consciousness to capitalism. Deep Dive is a space to tackle hard-hitting questions and controversial topics in a raw, empathetic, and curious way. And it's my space to rant and ramble freely, no holding back. Let's dive in. Okay. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to Deep Dive. Thank you for joining me today. I'm here with my friend Kiko, who's literally in the room with me, which (laughs) is exciting because usually it's an interview and it's not face to face, which is no fun. Um, Yeah. So I have Kiko with me. Kiko is someone who I like connected with a few years ago, but we didn't really become friends until recently. And then we finally met up in person and we've just been like chilling every single day. Yeah. (laughs) We're together all the time. Literally all the time. (laughs) And uh, Kiko is super cool. Kiko does um, some vintage resale. Uh, She models like there's just a lot of different things going on in Kiko's (laughs) world. And uh, And we're going to talk about them today. So yeah, so I guess I would first just love to hear like, was your first kind of thing vintage? Or was it modeling? Like what kind of was the first? So I guess it was a mix of modeling and vintage because both started around the same time when I was in college. And the modeling started off as me just posing for my friends who were majoring in photography. And then I was working at a Buffalo Exchange at the time. So that's when I started learning about vintage. So like everything was like happening at the same time. Yes, And then I just carried it over to Philadelphia. Right. You were in Boston. Mm hmm. So when you came here, like how, how long have you had nooks? So uh, I have had Nooks, like the name for the shop, probably for about a year, but I've gone through like two different name changes, like trying to figure out self and like what actually resonates and feels good. Um, So I've had Nooks like by that name for a year, but I think I've had the shop like in my head and in the process for like about three years prior just to like me selling. actually starting selling, yeah. On Instagram mostly. Yeah, and like I actually got the name for Nooks and Crannies while I was in school taking like a fashion illustration class. Um, and that's how it started off as like me wanting to do my own like vintage remakes and everything because it was like a sewing class um, and an illustration class. And then I carried that over into my portfolio class and like finished my uh, college career with that as my project. Cool. Yeah. So Nooks is her vintage shop. For those of you who are wondering, it's Nooks Vintage on Instagram and like around social media if you want to look it up. But we'll cover that at the end as well. So what like first attracted you to it? Is it something that came from like family influence or like is there a deeper meaning? Um, behind the name or just the no, shop No, just like sort of like your attraction to vintage? Well, yeah, it definitely started from my mom. I have been going into thrift stores like since I was a little girl. Um, So when I got the job at Buffalo Exchange, it was kind of just like, this is where I needed to be. And then um, my interest for vintage specifically started um, through my managers when I was at the buying counter because I was a buying counter at Buffalo Exchange. So we would always be looking for really great vintage pieces. Um, And that's something that they made sure to like, 
keep an eye on. So they would show me like the details of like what made something vintage and like what actually was like trendy and would sell in the store. Um, And just seeing that overall process is kind of what made me more interested in uh, selling vintage because I was like, I pick up these pieces all of the time and half of the time I don't wear them or they sit in my closet for a long time. So I could just resell them and make the money myself. No, (laughs) I I feel that so much because even in like, so since I've been hanging out with Kiko for all of you, I've been kind of into this like home goods vintage um, path. And (laughs) it's like, it is really fun because I, and and with you, what you do with the clothes, because I feel like so often, um, I'll have this like vision or this idea of something that I would like love to wear or like love to be able to like express myself as, but maybe I don't personally feel like there yet. Exactly. So then it's fun to like see other people like bring those things back to life. Yeah. And it's so much fun, even if I don't necessarily incorporate them into my actual wardrobe, just like styling them and yeah. like jumping out of my comfort zone with like something I wouldn't normally wear. Right. Um, and taking the pictures is so much fun. <laughs> yes. It's like vintage role playing. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. So also like, so who do you find yourself surrounded by mostly like in vintage spaces and just like in your experience reselling and like I know you hit up estate sales sometimes and just like what is that like? Like, It's just always old white dudes. (laughs) Like 100% of the time. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) I know. Yeah. I'm like hello. Welcome. Um, It's just really funny because like not only am I like a black woman but I'm a queer black woman and like I am just, like, I stand out like I'm young. Like, I have half of a shaven head, locks, like, (laughs) wearing cat eye glasses. (laughs) So it's just funny, like, walking up to an estate sale or just, like, you know, like a junk store and, like, getting the looks, like, what is she doing? Like, mass confusion. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But it's fun, though, because I like knowing what I'm looking for and knowing what I'm talking about and, like... It's funny because not that I need the validation or respect from these people, but it's funny when they see me do the work that they're like, oh, okay, like I get it. <laughs> they're like impressed. Yeah, and then they're exactly. Like trying to copy your style. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well. Like trying to like give me cards and like, oh, I have this and that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> totally. So do you feel like you've mostly like, if I guess if not for social media, then it's almost like how would you even connect with other black and brown people or just marginalized people in general, like even in vintage spaces? Because I feel like it's such a privileged space to be in, to be like shopping for vintage, like as a job and just like that whole thing. So I feel like it's got to be hard to find people. It really is extremely hard. Um, I feel like only a handful of times have I ever seen like another brown person like in my environment, (laughs) Right. which I'm always really happy to see, but it's unfortunate that it's not as often. It's so crazy too. So I was just at the studio a few minutes ago shooting with Kimberly, who is Cheyenne Gill's uh, associate photographer. And we were talking about um, a rope. Like Mm -hmm. I've been really getting into the rope community and I was mentioning how, Um, Like, even to see people in fat bodies um, engaging in rope play at all. Like, we were talking about uh, when you already feel or are um, fetishized Mm -hmm. in a space and then to, like, add any layer to that. Right. Kind of amps it up to the point where you're not going to find those people in those spaces Mm because, like, they don't feel safe. And it's just so interesting, this, like, reoccurring conversation of just, like, who's missing from all of these spaces. Exactly, And, like, but it's all the same. Right. It's crazy. So I've also heard you and like you've told me a lot about your passion for like 
researching the items that you're finding and maybe like opting not to sell certain items or like finding homes for them in other ways or like what is your thought on sort of appreciating vintage versus like appropriating vintage yeah so I feel like so I like Dana said I love doing the research I am a history buff I don't really retain knowledge very well but I do love learning about certain things um so when it comes to vintage I really pride myself on looking up as much information I can about specific pieces especially if they belong to certain cultures because it's just like not my right to like sell it for any price. (laughs) Um, But like if I see it in certain spaces and I'm obviously like, I can't leave this here for someone who's like not of this culture and not brown to like pick this up and just like use it for whatever. So um, like for instance, like with kimonos, I did a lot of research like when I first started selling those um, because I just like wasn't sure on if it would be okay for me to do or not. And I still like... I'm not completely sure um, and would love to have like an open conversation about that. Um, But like I did do the research and like finding out that the kimono industry was like at a decline and like a lot of kimono makers in Japan want people to like bring kimonos back because they're losing their jobs within their communities. And it's unfortunate because it was such like a traditional like staple piece for this culture and it's upsetting to see that like it's hit a decline and now it's like no one's wearing them anymore. So in that case, uh, I will like sell the pieces. Um, But then pertaining to like wearing certain pieces, like, I don't know, it's like an all like encompassing. Well, it's interesting because I feel like I see kimonos often. Yeah. Like they're super trendy, but people will opt to buy them from like Forever 21 or someplace that's like Right. And that's where it's like, yeah, I like draw the line. Like I feel like, especially pertaining to that piece in particular, they're worn traditionally. They're worn for like weddings and celebrations and things like that. So I feel like buying vintage is more, um, like self-conscious rather right. than buying it from like forever 21 exactly right. like what you said well i feel like it fits the it's like slow fashion versus fast well, fashion yeah, and it has a history and it's like actually made by the people right. whereas like this is just like made by anybody and like mass produced and it's like just fabric being right. reused yeah nothing and mm-hmm. it's also like been exploitive right exploitative exactly. to like be have it produced in that way anyway exactly but it's and really it interesting its meaning. it loses its meaning but then like i get in this conversation all the time about like in the clothing industry about like that fine line between creating things um that are sustainable but mm-hmm. then obviously are um inaccessible to so many people because it's just too expensive right versus um being able to like shop at a place like forever 21 where things are like eight dollars ten dollars and understanding that like there are people who need to be Have purchasing things at that clothing. price point yeah. but then i feel like there's this really cool conversation about vintage that can like come into play there as well and like kind of like hunting for vintage pieces fits this like converse like i know so many people who shop vintage just for the sake of like environmentalism exactly and it's really conscious. amazing to like be a part of that and it's unfortunate too because it's like that's the thing with vintage is like that's what should be happening people just like rebuying the clothes out of sustainability but then like 
I've just noticed that some sellers like get too ahead of themselves and like people sell vintage for crazy money. Yeah. <laughs> like like so much money, it'll be so crazy. And then it's not accessible anymore. Right. So it's like what now what is the point? Right, exactly. <laughs> like you want people to have these special pieces and you want to keep fast fashion like out of like right. the cycle, but like how are we supposed to do that? And it's like the same thing with like veganism. It's like that's not accessible right. for everybody. That's not fresh produce isn't even accessible. Right in most like black and brown communities like how do you expect people to just like drop everything and go vegan and so that's like and be like meal prepping exactly yeah it's like both like very uh, similar conversations well and it's also like I wasn't vintage wasn't even on my radar strongly until I met you but I remember just like being in college and having when I was living in New Orleans and having so many friends who just like loved vintage but I always thought and I remember like um, in my like initial years coming into my yoga practice and, and then on social media and like what's evolved in the last few years of, um, just like understand, understanding intersectionality more and just like various systems of oppression and just the, the, the interesting conversation of like who's, um, shopping at thrift stores and like mm-hmm. who that space is even like meant to be for and like who should even be buying things right. that are being like provided these accessible prices like you and I have gone in right and like we see all of the time uh people who are like very clearly resellers mm-hmm. and they're usually white people yeah and then you can assume that they're like marking up their things very heavily oh, yeah. when they're right there in the goodwill or in the whatever for three dollars exactly and yeah. somebody could buy it like directly so exactly yeah my thing with that is like but i'm a white lady saying oh right 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 it's (laughs) it's different yeah you know well with like reselling vintage it's like um i think about it as in like well i'm taking the time to go look for these things and like obviously i'm not going to be selling it to someone who would take the time to go out to the thrift store well no and you should be making bank like you have every right (laughs) rhyme and reason to be making bank but it's just like this interesting like you're the outlier in the thrift mm-hmm. store, but it's yeah. like all of these white people just reselling and reselling. And oh my God. Yeah. And those are the people who, exactly. Those are the people who sell it for like a mad money. Yeah. <laughs> it's just interesting. Cause like, and I'm sure that I have plenty of people like listening who like love to thrift shop mm-hmm. and like love to, to shop vintage. And it's just an interesting thing to be aware of. And like, when you buy it, who are you maybe taking it from? Right, Like, exactly. when you can be buying things. But it's so crazy, because it's such a complex conversation, because it's like, oh, okay, so for the environmentalism aspect, and I love the slow fashion aspect, mm-hmm. so it's like, yeah, everybody should, like, fi- buy vintage through that lens, but right. then you, like, have the conversation of capitalism and, like, uh, wealth having never been distributed equally, right. so then you're like talking about various points of accessibility and, like, who should buy what. Like, and the it's people who are crazy. actually shopping at these stores because they actually need, need these things for right. their families it's and to not- sustain themselves. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's exactly. not a, like, luxury to, like, mm-hmm. go buy cute vintage things, like, at the thrift shop. It's right. like, this is where I literally can shop for my family. My exactly, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. That's, like, what I grew up in. Like, that's yeah. how I started off. It's just, like, my mom trying to get me, like, clothes for work and cl- get clothes for me, like, yeah. for school and everything like that so yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's crazy uh, it's so hard because like, it just there's never that one it has to just be a conversation is like all i can, can yeah conclude and i feel like <laughs> not enough people in vintage have these conversations which is um 
really interesting. But I feel like that always comes with like trends of anything that like starts like popping off. <laughs> we just like hop on the trend, but right. like don't open up the floor to like having the conversations that we should be having um, to keeping it like a safe environment and sustainable environment for everybody who is like involved. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's talk about, um, if you're down to talk mm-hmm. about it, um, are you down to talk about your soft and kinky? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So Kiko, <laughs> Kiko has like many babies. <laughs> Not actual babies, but like passion child yes. children on the internet. I love a new idea. Right. We have projects. <laughs> so, so Kiko has another page that's soft and kinky that's um, about sort of like sensual and sexual um, exploration and expression. And um, it feels like it's like kind of new, yeah. new-ish. Yeah, and I would just like I'm love kind to of hear. just like exploring where I'm at sexually because I never. I grew up in the family where it was just like we never really talked about sex, and like if I had to go to Planned Parenthood or whatever, my mom was just like, just stop having sex. <laughs> that was yeah. the only conversations we really had. Yeah. So I'm at a point in my life where I feel comfortable um enough in the rest of my like realms where I can finally like explore my sexuality and feel comfortable in doing so and like I feel like I've gained um the peers and community that are like here to help me like push forward and like break through that shell that I've always had um and that's just like been gained from like previous like traumas and relationships and etc um so the page is mainly just about like trying to explore like what I actually want and need to feel sustained in my sexuality and in my environment as far as it comes to like being sexual um and how to like release those tensions and like recognize those tensions when they come about and like those triggers um and like all while still remaining tender because you know like I'm a super sensitive person both of us are so it's like um I identify as a demisexual because it's really hard for me to have um, a sexual attraction, like off the bat, romantic attraction for me is very easy, but sexual attraction, I like Mm. need the emotional to be there in order for my guard to be like completely let down and the tension to be fully released. Right. So what do you feel like backtracking to when you first started talking about it and like some of these past traumas or maybe like thoughts that you had about yourself or just Um, like the mental hurdles to get over to like even enter a space where one you feel safe and like definitely we're gonna talk about that because that's like my favorite Mm -hmm. word yes (laughs) it's like safety um but like not only safe but also I just feel like and I'm going through this process myself where I'm just really strongly questioning Mm -hmm. um things that I felt like were really true that I've realized are just limiting me yeah and so what do you feel like some of those things were that you kind of had to like do the mental hurdle before you could be in the space where you could even like start treading the waters of like opening your mind like sensually and sexually um the first two that jumped into my mind was the fact that I was not expressing myself as openly queer as I am now Mm -hmm. um and I feel like that was a big part of it because I've always been like romantically and sexually attracted to women since I was like younger and I just kind of like 
always it was just that stigma of like this is probably not what I'm supposed to be doing right. or like a phase or like, right exactly yeah. um but then like coming into terms where I'm like okay no this is actually like what I like and what I want so I need to like embrace that fully in order for me to feel comfortable um and then the other part um that I was thinking about was the fact that I wasn't comfortable in my body until recently Um, and that was like where I held a lot of my tension in sex was like, just like in my head and thinking about like what I looked like or like how the other person saw me. Um, and so like, I just only maybe about like a year ago started releasing that from myself, but that was like a lot of internal work that I had to do. And then like bringing that into, um, like my sexual, like shared spaces. So how do you feel like, I feel like especially, well, I feel like they're both so strong because they're both such clear um, identifiers Mm -hmm. and just like how you relate to yourself and being openly queer and then also just like being comfortable in your own skin is obviously huge for everybody. Mm -hmm. So what do you feel like, what have been the biggest shifts? Like what feels different? Like I I relate to this conversation so much and like I I can think back and I've done podcasts about it before in like thinking back to times in my life where um, sex that at the time, uh, was consensual at least to like my understanding and standards, but really ended up just being traumatic because of why I was doing it or what I was focusing on, you know, whatever the outcome. And, and it's just, I, I read this book, um, what is it? Come, come as you are. I think it's called. Um, I think I've heard of that. It's a really good book. Um, it, it talks about des- context, like desire, uh, not just sex drive, but mm-hmm. desire, context, and then sort of like this outcome. And I think a lot of the time, um, people feel, and I've felt my whole life, like this really strong desire um, for sex that I've always just called having a high sex drive. Mm-hmm. But then the context has to meet it or the outcome is not positive, right? Like you can't just um, match the desire with any person, any scenario. Right. And I feel like that's what I kept trying to do. I kept trying to like make things work or like, I don't know, just like four situations that I like may not have internally felt really comfortable with, but just was like. I don't know, just trying to go with the flow, but it just, like, shouldn't have been happening. And I think that's what the shift was, is I started recognizing, like, I don't have to do these things. And I can, like, one, be to myself and, like, isolate myself and, like, that's okay. And I don't have to, like, just have sex with someone just because, like, I feel like I should, you know? Like, um, and that really hit home for me uh, last year because I was, like exploring finally like trying to be like openly queer and like accepting myself and then kind of like fell back because I do identify as bisexual so like I fell back into like dating men and then came out of that again um I know (laughs) the trap the trap literally the trap I literally had to put my entire face in front of front of the mic (laughs) go go on <laughs> but once I like fell out of that again, I was like, okay, well maybe this was like not the final straw, but this is like the turning point for me where I'm like I need to actually like embrace what I was doing before. Like I don't know how I got sidetracked. But <laughs> oh, <dick. laughs> I know literally. literally. <laughs> Um, But now I'm, like, back on track with exploring that. And um, it honestly just started off as me just, like, getting out of my comfort zone. I'm a cancer, so I have a real hard time with, like, stepping out of my familiars. Um, 
So, <laughs> so it just started as me like just asking women out on dates and yeah. just like getting out of my comfort zone because I would never even ask anyone out on a date. Right. <laughs> All right. So like um, I just started doing that and getting more comfortable with just like speaking about like yeah. my body and speaking about women openly and speaking about the non-binary openly. Um, and that's kind of how that shifted. Um, and then as far as my body goes, I honestly just like had to do like little things like I used to like restrict myself because I had like eating disorders and like body dysmorphia. So it started being like um, just being open to like I can eat whatever I want and it's fine. Like I don't have to count things. I don't have to keep track of things. I just need to live my life and it's going to be okay because I still am like who I am. Um, And like when that started changing, like how I thought of myself, I like started looking at myself in the mirror differently. And I actually just noticed like maybe about a month ago that I didn't like look in the mirror and feel any type of way like differently about my body as it shifted. Um, cause I used to be like really on top of myself. Like when winter came around, I used to be like really intense with myself. Like, oh, winter's here. So like, you can't like eat too much or do this and that and the whatever. And like, I wouldn't have sex as much in the winter because like I knew my body mm-hmm. would like shape shift and like I fluctuate like that. I'm a thick lady. That's just what happens. Yeah. I like to eat. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so this winter I noticed that like, I looked in the mirror and I would literally look in the mirror and be like, oh, I look good today. And like, I threw out my scale and yes. like after that happened, yes, and you really helped with that too. <laughs> um, so I threw out my scale and after that point, that's when the shift really happened because I didn't have that like stigma like yeah. in my house anymore. And like the scale has been something I grew up with being in yeah. my bathroom house or my bathroom house, in my house bathroom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have a whole place to pee. Poop palace. Yes. Um, but that was something that like was really liberating for me because that was something that was really stigmatized by my mom. Like, Oh, like I wouldn't, uh, she wouldn't buy me new clothes. Like unless I like lost weight or like, you know, it was just a lot. Uh, Yeah, it was a lot. Um, and I think that's just like carried over into, uh, my adulthood. And it was just like a lot of me just like recognizing what I internalized and like, learning how to take small steps and unlearning all of those things. Um, And I'm really proud of myself because it happened really quickly. (laughs) I didn't expect it to happen as quickly as it did. And maybe it's just because I had been working on it for a few years. And this was just a little bit of like extra work that I had to do to get where I am now. Not saying that the work is over, but like, you know, just to feel. Honestly, I feel like it's just that moment when you get it, you get it. Yeah. And it's just, it's hard to explain, but like I've experienced that exact moment so strongly of just like, oh, I realize now, and I've said it a million times on this podcast, that diet culture is just fat phobia mm-hmm. for skinny white women mm-hmm. with money for diet culture. Yes. And then fat phobia is just as oppressive. It's just all oppression. Yes. Like, your internalized fat phobia kept you from experiencing pleasure. Exactly. The pleasure of eating and then also the pleasure of just like enjoying your body and then also the pleasure of sex. Just like living. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Just like living your life and not having to like second guess your life choices. (laughs) Like you shouldn't have to do that. And I think, and just, and just the, it's so hard for people It's so hard for anybody, I think, to believe this, but then I think especially if you're marginalized in any way to just believe 
that you literally can just be exactly who and what you are and that there are people Mm -hmm. who are going to respond to that exact person. It's like hard not to believe that you don't have to shapeshift to get to the place where you could be totally sexually liberated or you could be like liberated in your body or whatever it is. It feels impossible. I feel like until you just have that moment where you're like, wait, like, this is literally a lie and it's imposed upon me to keep me from experiencing like the vastness of what I can feel. And that's another thing that I had to learn. I was like, me changing isn't like a factor. Like the people who are here for me are going to be here for me and I shouldn't have to like change myself or alter myself to like fit anybody's like needs or like vision or whatever. And like, as soon as I like let that go, I noticed that even like within my circle, like things started changing. I started meeting new people who like were accepting me who for who I was like just naturally just like my personality my body just like everything and it was actually really crazy because I just like never thought that I could feel so whole and even with um like a lot of new people that I'm meeting right now like with complete strangers and that's it's so crazy because I said to you yeah um how I feel like you're one of my best friends and we've only been friends for like a month and a half (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. Yeah, but it's just about, like, I mean, being on the same wavelength and, like, meeting the people who are there and, like, um, meet the same needs that you have and, like, are there to help you, like, get past that. And who are just, like, gonna rally, like, for your pleasure and, like, your happiness. And I just, I feel like especially, like, amongst women and I feel like especially, like, amongst cishet women, it's just, it's so insanely competitive as well. It's so judgmental because of all of our ingrained misogyny. Like I was talking to you about this the other day. Like, why do I, why am I even attracted to like masculine men Mm -hmm. the way that I have always been? Right. And just recognizing that it's so clearly um, a lens that I look through and it's literally my my internalized misogyny to like, have the satisfaction of like, oh, like a man finds yeah. me attractive. Like, why does that feel better to me than a woman right. finding me attractive? Exactly. Like, it's just such a mind fuck. Ugh. And I feel like you have to just like put the dots together to even just start taking the steps of being like, okay, I've literally been programmed this way. And like, I know I have the ability to see differently. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's all just like dissecting and then reprogramming yeah. your mind. And it's so And frustrating you need to be around like, people who are doing that. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like you need to surround yourself with that environment. Like what we're talking about. Not um, the judgment. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Environment is key, to be honest. And I feel like that's when things really started to shift for me is when I started to shift my environment around as well. Yeah. And I feel like this conversation too about your body and just like coming to terms with just being completely accepting and like not even loving necessarily, but just completely accepting of like what that body is, is trust with yourself Mm -hmm. and I just feel like I constantly am coming back to this like what comprises um like consent as the foundation for not just sexual experiences but any experience and like for me it's trust is really like what's hot Mm -hmm. (laughs) about it and is the foundation of all of that and it has to be that I can trust myself first right but then uh, uh, definitely obviously that I need to trust my partner or my partners but I feel like if you're if you're in this place where you can't fully be trusting of you and like just what your body is or what your needs are like what your desires are it's just like 
really hard to ever meet somebody and you'll never really release that tension because it's like right and (laughs) right though like that's what's so crazy about it it's like i wrote um i have like a a new i know you're all gonna try to find it anyway (laughs) (laughs) they're all gonna try to find it anyway after they follow you um but i have a a a private page that i'm not accepting any of you (laughs) on to um where i'm sort of like exploring more of this and it's just it's so interesting to me like the 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 necessary foundations of like respect and trust and things that begin with you but then extend like into your into your connections and your relationships like without the bounds of safety and comfort like it's, again especially if you're marginalized right you're vulnerable all the time mm-hmm. but the vulnerability is painful the vulnerability feels limiting like you're being traumatized in that vulnerability. Whereas if you feel safe and comfortable, especially in a sexual space, and this is why I think kink and BDSM in the right context can be so incredibly healing, is the vulnerability in the context of safety switches to ultimate, like, liberation. Exactly. Whereas in any other circumstance, it's painful and traumatizing. Oh my gosh, yes, that is so real. And that's why I like started embarking on this journey because I have a lot of friends who um, are exploring kink or just like are heavy into the scene and they are so liberated from what I mean, I can see. Um, and it's just amazing to see people so liberated i'm like wait i need to i need to be there too how do i feel this (laughs) yes exactly how do i and i love being vulnerable but like obviously from past traumas it's hard to be that way with just anybody and like obviously you shouldn't be that way with just anyone um but like going with what you said about trust like it's about trusting people and like you see that so heavy in the kink scene and that's what's really intriguing to me i'm like this whole community trusts each other so much to do all of these things and i'm just like right that takes a level of commitment trust like communication like vulnerability in all grounds and it's just amazing to see and embrace fully and be able to embrace and like have that support system support system there yeah. No, it really is. It's like, I feel like I'm just like a budding, like I'm like a baby mm-hmm. kink yeah. <laughs> enthusiast. And it's so, but it's so exciting. Like I can't wait for like all of the new things that I know I'm going to be able to feel and experience through being open to like real really like true deep vulnerability but that can only come after doing like and continuing to do Mm -hmm. like just a lot of work on myself and and this continual healing from like not only past traumas but just past mindsets and just how much we all internalize things that like severely limit us and how we are able to experience pleasure in our lives right i mean we've seen it like generation after generation like from our parents like just not sustaining their lives properly or like fulfilling themselves the way they need to be fulfilled and like not communicating their needs and it's just like I don't want to repeat that pattern and like I just don't have the time to repeat that you know so it's like I have to take the initiative and like unbreaking these chains for real um so yeah yeah that's where I'm at Oh my god, it's so crazy. It really is so insane. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, and I, it's just, it's so true what you were saying earlier too about like when you start surrounding yourself, like when you're not afraid anymore to branch out and actually be around other people who are like emulating 
the kind of like freedom or lifestyle that you want, mm-hmm. like things really do shift. Yeah. Like even just in meeting you, like we've done fun kink shoots and just like styled like vintage things and just like things that I think are just like out of everybody's comfort zone a little bit, but in ways that everybody is like excited about yeah. and ready for. And I just like feel so strongly how easy it is for anybody to just like go on day after day, not um being like willing to step into those zones because of that fear of like what people are going to think but I really feel like it's just you have to find your right people and not be worried about the people who are not for you exactly because like like I said anyone who is for you isn't gonna think anything about it (laughs) or they're going to support you you know like so you won't have to worry about that and I feel like that's where um my tension has like started dissipating is cause that's what it's always been. Yeah. And like why I started the page is cause like I was always like thinking about what other people were thinking. And I'm like, it doesn't matter what other people think because yeah. like, this is my life and I can't like live it, like trying to appease others. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's just like, and it's, it's crazy too, how hard it feels sometimes like to navigate all of this, like the internal mental fog and things that have just been internalized to even get clear on what you need and Mm -hmm. like what you want is so important, but I feel like really hard. Like, I mean, I can't even over the years, even just talking about, um, sex in general, how many people, um, women specifically have circled back and just, you know, like aren't orgasming or like aren't, Mm -hmm. Um, just like are not connected and are not getting the fulfillment of like these experiences, but also like not knowing what they need, not even knowing what they want, like not having taken the time. And this goes for everybody, not just women and not just like cishet women, but to take the time to figure out what you freaking want. And I feel like I've got to, I mean, I'm a freak. So I, I mean, I know what my reality is, but I've got to imagine that like what, many people desire goes far beyond the bounds of what they seek exactly and that i mean that's why i started the page because i was like i need to explore self first yeah before like initiating in like sharing my space with others because like i wouldn't be able to tell anybody like what's the right spot or like where to i don't know (laughs) like i really don't know yet um so like even taking that first initial step to like be comfortable with myself was like a big thing because like i don't know just like sex was like taboo in my household so i like yeah haven't even really thought about it like all sex was just like it was just wrong (laughs) i didn't even really start masturbating until like college maybe for real for real yeah like i was like exploring it when i was younger but like I didn't know what was what. Yeah. So I was just like, okay, <laughs> like, sure, I'll come back, swing yeah. back around. <laughs> I've been a perv. Literally. I've literally been a pervert since 11 years old. Just oh saying. <laughs> literally, though. Oh, my God. I'm like, what's this? <laughs> what's this? <laughs> Give me that. That's so funny. Oh, my God. I love it. No, yes. I love it. Is there anything else you feel like is on your mind? I'm happy we've talked about um, sort of like sensual exploration and some kink a little bit. I feel like everybody, I mean, maybe not everybody has a kinky side, but I, I, mean, I, stand- I feel like it's just like, it. Do, I feel like there are levels of kink and right, for, depending on who you are, yeah. like 
I mean, anal is kinky to some people, you right. know, just simply that. Oh, I know. <laughs> right, no. you know? I say all the time that I feel, yeah, like one person's like vanilla yeah, is another exactly. person's like extreme kink. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's certainly relative, but I stand by what I said and that I feel like most people are probably not seeking everything that they've ever yeah. like desired before. But then it's hard because there comes that conversation again of like, yes, I desire this, but how do I get the context and how to make it pleasurable? And yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> because it's... It's like you're working within, right? Like you can desire uh, like a gangbang with like uh, 10 other dudes, mm-hmm. but then like in context, are you going to feel safe? Like to make, right. to, to ensure in the, re- like fantasy and reality are worlds cool. apart, right? <laughs> right. So you can't just drop the fantasy into reality's context. And that's what's no. so interesting about it. And like my like seeking people out who are, who are, experienced in the lifestyle of kink and BDSM who that trust and that safety, that understanding Mm -hmm. the need for respect and um, people who have done the work already to like break down their binary thoughts, Mm -hmm. their internalized misogyny. Like that's where you can find these safe spaces to like bring those fantasies to reality because in my like day to day and like the people that I had sex with years ago and and to be honest, like most cishet men who like I always say have the most work to do Mm -hmm. in like ensuring that I'm going to feel safe. Right. Like, there's a spectrum there. Yeah, literally. <laughs> like, there's a definite spectrum there. And it's an, it's yet another reason that I'm like, why do I, why is this lens even like so strong towards these masculine men when I know I'd feel safer in a sexual experience with a woman or like a queer woman or or somebody who wasn't like a masculine cishet man. Right. Where I don't feel safe because they're the ones who have perpetuated the most harm against me. Exactly. And that's what I had to like come to terms with as well. Like just like kind of removing myself from that cycle of like, I really was only seeing men for real, for real, because yeah. I was just like, I don't know. It was just like that gaze. Yeah. 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 And I was just like following suit of like the stigma. And I was like, but wait, what happens if I just like take myself out of line? <laughs> You know, and like remove myself from this situation. And like, it's been lit. It's been (laughs) great. (laughs) We're eating pussies and taking names. Yes. (laughs) Pussy wagon. (laughs) I'm dead. Oh, God. No, really, though. It's just so interesting. I hope that whoever whoever is still listening (laughs) after I said pussy mantra or whatever I said um earlier <laughs> um i really hope whoever is listening like that this is like resonating about just this like what do you really freaking want in your yes. life and maybe it's not just like it's not just sexual expo- exploration or kink but just recognizing like why we think the way that we think matters you know i'm all about sort of self-awareness and and constructive and critical thinking about why we think things and why we do things. And Mm -hmm. I just feel like the more I allow myself to be in that space of questioning why I do what I do, the more I'm like, wait, there's another way to do this. Exactly. (laughs) And then initiating on doing those like things (laughs) and unlearning all of those. It's uh, so good. uh, Oh my God. And then I forgot you have your Afro witch page too. Oh yes. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Let's do it. Yes. And then I'll I'll link, wait, she literally is everywhere on the internet. (laughs) I'll, I'll, we'll run through all the pages at the end, but just give me like, we have a few minutes left. Just tell me a little bit about what your Afro witch page is. Um, so the Afro witch, uh, is basically, it started off as like, I started this actually in college as well. Like right when I was about to finish school, 
Um, and it started as me kind of exploring tarot because I received a deck from my sister when I was like, I don't know, around like 10 years old when she was moving out of uh, the house to go to college. And my sister is seven years older than me. Um, so she gave me this tarot deck. And like when I was younger, I didn't obviously know what to do with it. Um, my extent of like witchcraft, like my knowledge for it was like following my sister around to crystal shops like yes. <laughs> in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so when I got older, uh, I finally actually met someone else who was brown and like was interested in witchcraft and they happened to be um, from like a line of like witch doctors in South Africa, but like had no connection to like their ancestry or like witchcraft in general. So we kind of like became best friends and we still are best friends. Lindo, I love her so much. She's in South Africa right now. Um, but we kind of like teamed together on like exploring witchcraft as like a partnership and like as best friends and like doing tarot together and just practicing together. Um, and like while doing this, I just like got the idea and I was just like, wait, I'm pretty sure there are a lot of brown and black people out in the world that have the same like disconnection um from like their ancestry and witchcraft and like just magic in general um so it started off as like it still is a community page but it started off kind of like having like submissions from other people hmm. but then i kind of like i've regrouped this page so many times because i like wasn't sure about myself in my craft yet. So like you can like see the evolution through the page of like me finding myself yes. <laughs> through my craft. Um, and now it's more so like, um, I would love to have a website for submissions eventually, but um, now it's more so like if I take the time out to like educate myself on something, I'll like share it on the page because usually someone has thought about it or is thinking about it. Um, and if it's like as simple as like a ritual that I do or just like um, herbs that you can use for like, you know, having a cold or like whatever. Um, and I just like share general information. And if anyone has any general information to share with me, then I'll like repost it on gotcha. the page. Or like if I see something, I'll like reach out to whoever and repost it on the page cool. um, to like keep it collective. So it's like a place where anyone, but specifically uh, black and brown witches can like go to right. and have like a source yeah. to like just feel comfortable in their environment and to just like speak freely and ask questions. Um, because like... I was very interested in witchcraft growing up, but, like, since my sister was seven years older than me, like, we just had that disconnect of, like, I'm the pesky little sister, so she didn't really talk to me about yeah. anything for real. So I didn't have um, any connection to witchcraft, and I didn't have anyone to ask questions to. And, like, the only representation I had um, of witchcraft, everyone was white. Harry Potter was white. Like, yeah. Sabrina the Teenage Witch was white. So I had no, like, reflection of myself. And that's what was so important to me when I was starting the page is I, like, wanted other black and brown witches to just, like, relate to yeah. someone on, like, anything that they were thinking about, like I was. Yes. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's yes. amazing. So I love it. Yes, she, Kiko, she, <laughs> has so many spaces that are centering black and brown people mm -hmm. um, that I want to just give everybody all of these resources. Because I feel like we're constantly having these conversations. A lot of um, the conversations I've had on this podcast are about, like, wellness world and... This is a part of that for sure and like yoga world, but there are 
so many different avenues and like so many different resources that are needed. And I like love that you have these safe spaces where you feel like you can be free to be yourself and also be centering other people who just are way too regularly left out, but also yeah. where all of this con- like you're I'm sitting here listening to you talk about black and brown people being disconnected from spirituality or from their ancestors and their yeah. spirituality and, and just like um it's not only just a shame, but it's just, I mean, spirituality as yet another thing. And I can't help but tie this to the yoga and wellness world mm-hmm. in being co-opted in that all of this comes from black and brown people. Exactly. So yeah. There's a lot of resources um, that are needed. I yes. Think, in yes. These spaces. Okay, cool. So tell us like, what are all the Instagram pages? And oh, what- okay. <laughs> Where, where where do we find you? So my personal page is at Kiko L, and that's K-E-I-K-O-E-L. Um, and then my vintage page for Nooks and Crannies is at Nooks Vintage, and that's K-N-O-O-K-S-V-I-N-T-A-G-E. Um, and then if you're interested in my Afro Witch page, that is at the Afro Witch. Um, that's T-H-E-A-F-R-O-W-I-T-C-H. Um, and then my Soft and Kinky page is at Soft and Kinky, and that's S-O-F-T-A-N-D-K-I-N-K-Y. Yes, I spelled all of those. I'm, in, I'm <laughs> sitting here, I'm like nodding my head being like, yep, that's it. That's, that's the, those are the letters. Proud of myself. <laughs> yes, I love it. Okay, so follow Kiko, Kiko on all of those pages on Instagram and buy the vintage and chime in on the Afro Witch page. And if you are um, respectful, you can check out the soft and kinky page yes. that I'm I'm watching, y'all. Yes, <laughs> I will block your asses real we're, quick. We're watching you on there. <laughs> okay, and thank you for listening to Deep Dive. And as always, um, every other Wednesday, a new podcast comes out. I appreciate y'all listening and subscribing wherever you are listening. iTunes, um, this podcast is available everywhere. But if you're listening on iTunes, I appreciate um, a rating and a positive yes um, rating. <laughs> <laughs> I see all haters out there. A positive rating and review. And then, of course, you can find um, Deep Dive Podcast on Instagram and my online classes at um, Practice with Dana. Thank you so much, Kiko, for chatting yes, with me today. Yes, thank you for having me. Yes. Bye. Bye. <laughs>Hi friends, Dana here. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Deep Dive. If you want more Radical Truth, make sure you subscribe. You can also keep up with me across social media at Dana Falsetti or visit my website, danafalsetti.com to find workshops, speaking engagements, or take an online class. See you next time.